Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? Beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. We're very pleased to welcome to the podcast this week Sir Kenneth Branagh, whose new film, All Is True, is out on DVD this week. My husband thinks you've come home to die. Really? I've just bought a pension. I can't die for at least 10 years or I'll be ruined. So why are you coming home? Mm -hmm. No more stories left to write. Susanna, I've lived so long in imaginary worlds, I think I've lost sight of what is real, what is true. Kenneth, welcome to the podcast. Congratulations on all is true. For anyone who hasn't seen it, just give us a basic outline of, the, of what, the, what the fundamental setup is of the story. Uh, all is true concerns uh, the last three years in the life of William Shakespeare, and the film begins uh, dramatically when uh, Shakespeare's famous Globe Theatre burns down in, mm-hmm. in June of 1613, and the play that's on, uh, the premiere, is The Life of Henry VIII, which also has an alt- alternate title, uh, All is True. And uh, we then follow Shakespeare, who returns to his hometown, Stratford-upon-Avon. It was about 2,500 people at that time. And uh, across the next three years, we, we, we look at the facts of his life. And we, in, a, I think, a Shakespearean way, because he always did this, took the facts of famous people's lives and filled in the gaps. Yeah. And we try to do that with a life that's... Actually, that part of his life is relatively unexplored, at least on film. And so it was an opportunity to, uh, to see what happens to the great man when he gets back to face a family that haven't seen him for the best part of 20 years, as he's been off being a massive celebrity, and, and how he sort of comes to terms with who he is in his own backyard. When you say he's been off being a massive celebrity, he's been off being William Shakespeare. <laughs> but the, but the, uh, the, the sort of the juxtaposition is between him, you know, the great bard, the great writer has written all these plays, and his home life in which his wife apparently can't read or write, mm. and his daughters are at the centre of a kind of scandal. How, how true is that? So, the, for instance, the, uh, the sexual scandals involving the daughters is absolutely true. In the film, you'll see a moment where uh, uh, Susanna Shakespeare in the in Holy Trinity Church is accused by a man called John Lane of adultery yeah. and indeed of having gonorrhea was the was what actually happened. That did happen in the church and it is recorded. Uh, the other daughter, Judith, married uh, a man, Thomas Quiney, who six weeks after their marriage was discovered to have had 
another sexual affair out of wedlock with a woman called Margaret Wheeler, who then died in childbirth. Mother and, and, and baby both died. He was again brought to book at Holy Trinity and uh, was punished by being made to uh, walk through the town on three successive Sundays in his nightshirt. Um, both events were very were Stratford wide in terms of their implication. And both massively theatrical. You yes. know, de- declaration in a church, a walking through the yes. street. Isn't it? But of course, there's a very litigious society. They were always suing each other in Stratford. There was a, uh, in Shakespeare's own time, his father had gone bust. He was accused of and indeed arrested for usury. He had been mayor of the town, but then had a terrible fall from grace. Uh, there was a, the people would shop you at the drop of a hat, it would seem. He, he was done on one occasion for just uh, a, a, um, a, a regulation that meant that you could not have manure had to be placed in in sort of as it were where the recycling bins needed to be uh, <laughs> and he got his much much closer to the house because it was much easier he had lots of livestock to deal with and he was he, he was uh, uh, he was shopped for this and he was then punished for this uh, so Stratford was um, was full of that kind of thing and uh, and that was the place that Shakespeare came back to and, and in which he was uh, sort of trying to find himself again and 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 well, find a way to sort of process this status, as you say, he'd achieved as the most prominent writer of the age. But as with most people uh, of achievement, their own particular status in their own towns or in their own families, particularly, is not the same as the way the rest of the world sees them. Well, well, Mr. Shakespeare, how very unfortunate. Seems your daughter's wedding was rushed for a reason, like your own, eh? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Damn me, you Shakespeare's are a scandalous lot. Perhaps being an illiterate farm girl, your wife was unable to teach your girls morals. Well, well, must be getting on. Can't loll about all day thinking pretty thoughts like you poets. I must do business. Business, Sir Thomas. Yes, business. A large estate like Schalke doesn't want itself, you know. Oh, I thought you meant real business. Like building, owning and operating London's largest theatre, for instance. Actors, carpenters, seamstresses, crew to pay, bribes to pay, security to mount, politics to navigate, 3,000 paying customers to be fed and watered every afternoon. Each promised a spectacle greater than the last. 170 royal command performances for our Queen and our King. Have you ever considered the logistics of mounting the Battle of Shrewsbury in the banqueting hall at Hampton Court? Please don't. It would make you so tired. And yet in all the years that I have run my vast, complex and spectacularly successful business, Thomas, I have indeed found the time to think and to write down the pretty thoughts you mention and which in my experience bring immense pleasure to those who seek mere diversion or respite from this veil of tears, without which it would all be about as pointless as... Well, about as pointless as you, Sir Thomas. What do you think was the basis of his relationship with his wife, according to the story that we see they got married because they, they had conceived? But, you know, astonishing that William Shakespeare should be married to somebody who apparently couldn't read or write and had only passing knowledge of his, of his verse. He was 18 when he married her, so he's an 18-year-old country lad. She was 26, yeah. And many would argue that his own education was not something about which we could be certain at that time. We more or less understand that he went to Stratford Grammar School. People would dispute this, uh, but given the nature of his father's 
preeminent in the town, it seems likely. So, as Ben Johnson said, he, he, he possibly only knew a little Latin and even less Greek. Um, so he may not have been, um, in the conventional terms, um, as broadly educated uh, as we might assume at that time, although he could have been. One way or another, a woman eight years his senior was someone who attracted him enough to not only uh, get married then, but also to somehow sustain a relationship in which he did visit. I mean, he did come back, yeah. usually about once a year. It took about three days up and to, 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 to come to Stratford at that time. It was did would have felt like going to Venus, I'm sure, really such a long way from in, in, in noise and sound and, yeah. and, and, and population from, from London. Uh, she, if she, she, as they say, must have had something, and uh, we started the the basis for the portrayal of Anne Hathaway with um, uh, Judy Dench's own performance for us in a production of The Winter's Tale, um, Shakespeare's late play, a couple of years ago in the West End. And this this is a character Paulina that she played in The Winter's Tale, who is regularly voted by actors as their favorite female Shakespeare character. It's partly, I think, because she speaks truth to power. She's very yeah. passionate, very intelligent, acerbic and uncompromising. She, uh, she voices um, a, 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 a very female response to certain kind of male um, position, particularly relative to male vanity or ego. In The Winter's Tale, Leontes, the king of um, uh, Sicilia, has this appalling fit of jealousy, believes his wife is uh, unfaithful, and the series of disasters that, that follow result ultimately in the death of his child, his son, mm. probably from a broken heart. That's the implication okay. in, in the play. And she never lets him off the hook. We thought that that was a strong position to start thinking about Anne Hathaway. If they are still married, and they do come back and they take possession of the second best house in Stratford uh, the house famously owned by the Clopton, Sir Thomas Clopton who was really the sort of founder of Stratford. It was important to, to, to Shakespeare this idea of, um, of status one of the daughters was married to the town doctor as you know he came back and he, he bought a, a coat of arms for 20 pounds 20 pounds, 20 pounds he bought a coat of arms and uh, you know worth maybe three or four thousand quid. Now it was important to him that, that people, that he had the right to insist that people call him gentlemen um, somehow Anne Hathaway was part of that sort of axis that meant as a family unit they were somehow armed strong in some kind of togetherness um, and uh, they were there across those following three years in which it's not hard to imagine some of the dissension between them. Ian McKellen, who plays uh, the Earl of Southampton in our uh, film, uh, did a one-man show probably 20, 25 years ago in which he argued, he used to do a Q&A with the audience and say, please tell me you're all, the people were often very schooled in Shakespeare, but he said, whether you are, whether you're not, please tell me if you think there's a successful marriage in any Shakespeare play. Because he believes there is not. There's not a single successful marriage, with the exception of the Macbeths. Who of course, who of course, murder people, and, and so if that's a way to make your marriage function, uh, it's to be, it's you know, it's questionable. Um, so you know, I think Ben Elton felt that that the 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 marriage, uh, whilst surviving, would not be short of the friction that might be um, uh, occurring between two people who also, along with the rest of the family, had suffered this immense loss just because infant mortality was high and usual at the time of 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 this story uh, would not diminish, and we understand this from literature and accounts of the time, does not diminish the grief of the family who lose the child. Yeah. And so that, that central resolution and that central 
element of, of, of Shakespeare and the family being haunted, literally haunted by the death of Hamnet was, was key to the way we told the story. Yeah, so Hamnet, his son, who was 11 or 12 when he died. 11, yeah. And uh, that we, uh, the, all the way through the story, through the film, uh, Shakespeare himself is haunted by this loss and during the course of the narrative, we discover that certain things that he thought were true may not be true. And I have to say, I mean, I you know did Shakespeare at A-level and I did English literature at university and it may be a massive failure of the education system. I didn't even know about Hamnet. Yes. Um, I didn't. So I was very, very struck by, yeah. by this. But then I went, you know, to look stuff at how could I not have known? And of course, actually, not that much is known, is mm -hmm. it? I mean, it's one of the things that is continually um, perplexing for Shakespearean scholars. Uh, but we do know what, what the film states is correct, that in the summer of 1596, a very, very, very small and unusually small number of children died in Stratford across months and years where many, many, many more had done because of the, uh, the outbreak of plague, which was regular and often fires in Stratford at that time. Which, which, which caused great loss of life. Uh, and although, uh, generally speaking, the idea of Ham Hamnet being lost to the plague uh, was one that has become current, uh, the possibility that something else may have been um, uh, at play was um, a departure point for, uh, for Ben Elton that also connects to the kind of thing that Shakespeare was writing about, particularly in the last plays, in, in the late plays, The, the Tempest, uh, The Winter's Tale, Cymbeline and um, uh, Pericles all deal with lost children. Often they deal with dead children and they deal usually with magic because essentially you might describe them as fairy tales. Mm -hmm. They all become plays that want to make it all, all right. They want to make it, they want to make that happy ending that alas, life in the case of those tragic circumstances will not give. In some cases, Shakespeare gave voice to quite direct grief about this earlier on in a play, King John, he talks about Arthur, grief, grief fills the room up with my absent child. He writes eight or 10 lines of the most beautiful, exquisite, painful expression of what it is to lose a child and to miss the child and eternally. Um, he also, of course, across the, the, the plays, constantly uh, plays with the idea of twins and what being a twin means. Is it, is it some sort of special, additional, you know, sibling plus yeah. feeling that you have? It's but a superpower. It's a super, it is a superpower, and, and we know we we're all often very envious of the sort of telepathy between, between twins and, and, and the separation between them, which happens in half a dozen plays also, is right there. So we took that fact about um, the question mark over Hamlet's death and the circumstantial evidence to suggest that it may not have been as straightforward as others might immediately surmise to then go back via the plays mm -hmm. for that which in a play like Hamlet, for instance, where uh, another daughter with a challenging relationship with her father, Ophelia, with Polonius, um, mm -hmm. is, 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 is driven into a circumstance that, that, that produces, again, a, a supposition about yeah. how her life might end that I think is, is, it has, has been as it were, in, in Shakespeare's um, sort of creative workshop. And, and the Earl of Southampton makes a progress north and he writes to me here that since he passes close by, he will spend an hour or two in talk with me. You hear me, Anne? The Earl of Southampton. I heard you. And I recall the first day I heard about your friend, the Earl of Southampton. 
Same day as a book of poems was published. Sonnets, they told me. Suppose you thought, because I couldn't read, I wouldn't mind. But plenty of people can read, even in our little town. Including one of your own daughters. And those sonnets were published illegally without my knowledge or my consent. But you wrote them, Will. And people read them. And after they read them, they kept asking, who are they? Who is this dark lady so in love with? They were just The poems. handsome man? They were just poems. Don't answer. I don't want to know. I didn't want to know then, and I don't want to know now. I've had the great privilege over the years of interviewing you several times, both you know, on stage and on television and for, for radio. And every time you talk about Shakespeare, you seem as excited about it as the first time yeah. you ever did. And I, I'm now, you know, you're in the middle of, of touring with the, with the film, so you must be talking about this a lot. And yet you've never seemed anything other than completely fired up by the subject of Shakespeare. And I remember being at Radio 1 when Hamlet came out and we made it Movie of the Month. And the radio, we think, Hamlet, we're, we're radio, we're a pop station. But no, no, but b- believe me, people will, will get this because there's a vibrancy in it. So having had all of that, to actually to be playing Shakespeare, it's, it's OK, or there's a great... I mean, it would be like me playing uh, Elvis or something. <laughs> well, you know, it, it connects, is what I would say. It connects... Um, when I first went to Stratford, I was 16. It was my first solo trip out into the world. So these things are important to you. They, 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 they're very You memorable. grew up in Belfast. And then- yeah. And I grew up in Belfast and I left when I was nine. And I, I knew that I came from a rich culture that really valued words and stories, but not necessarily in written form. Mm-hmm. My early memories of storytelling are large numbers of people in very, very small rooms. People sat on the edge of sofas. My dad with a Guinness and my mother singing a very painful song called Marguerite. And and other people telling me stories about Ireland, about Buck Alec, who kept a toothless lion in the backyard in Nelson Street. Um, you know, a very violent lion, but because the the, 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 the teeth were out, you, you were safe, but he could give you a terrible suck, is what, <laughs> is, is, is what they used to say. So I grew up with a lot of baloney and blarney going on, and uh, that that sort of world of being interested in in stories about the near and the far, mm. and and also an interest in music, in the art, Irish melancholy and everything that comes with a full package when you get the 100% shamrock uh, um, blood. And, um, and so to come over to, to England and then meet, as I did in my first viewing of a Shakespeare play, Romeo and Juliet, in a church in North London, uh, St George's in Tufnell Park, 1,000 kids on a Wednesday afternoon, a beautiful woman called Sarah Bedell was playing Juliet, Quite, she's quite breathtaking, so unbelievably sexy. Peter McHenry playing Romeo, great fights. You're remembering this like it was yesterday. Oh my God! But it, but also it was like a riot. I mean, it was like a riot. It was also a riot in church. I came from a place where church was church was Sunday night. You had to give the family's money, put it on the collection plate. I was watching Ian Paisley's deputy Martin Smith. When you get when you get when you are dead, you will face a fork in the road, and the long straight road will lead you to heaven, and the narrow winding road will take you to hell, and you must never. Forget Forget which road to tick. And I get home and go, Christ, what road was it? I remember waking up in the night going, there's two roads. I've got to choose one of them. Oh, no. Can I write in? Can I ask him? So I've come from that. Now I'm at a riot in a church, and the riot's caused by a play called William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, 400 years old, and it's about gangs, it's about violence, it's clearly about sex, although I couldn't have said that because just my hormones were just in a state of complete confusion, except I know I like her a lot. 
and a lot of other guys were the same way. So uh, the, the, the noise in the audience was constant. My yeah. first experience of a sort of globe audience. And I knew when I got back, I thought something had happened. When I got back, I just got that. I just, but that's supposed to be the dreary old dry thing, isn't it? So this sort of... Um, you know, cultural medicine stuff. So when I went to a couple of years later and thought, well, I've got to know about this man. I went to Stratford enough and I was a fairly timid, you know, adolescent in this way. But so getting a, getting your tent on your back, my tent, which I had sp- spent 20 weeks, uh, 9.99, 20 weeks at 99p or whatever it was, uh, 20.99 uh, from my mum's catalogue. I'd sent for like the worst tent in the world. So this is a tent you couldn't, you know, it wouldn't have, you, you could have shaken a, a wet J cloth at it and you'd have been soaked. It was so, <laughs> there was nothing like a kind of, like a, uh, you know, a, a, a ground sheet or anything. Took that to Stratford, um, took me forever to, uh, uh, hitchhike. The first truck I tried to get up and into, I fell straight back. The bloody the weight of my rucksack was so heavy. Every I was the pillock, absolute pillock. But when I got there, and I walked down from uh, the the campsite, a mile and a half into Stratford. I felt, uh, I, first I saw the statue of him in the gardens, then I walked across, got into the queue, got a ticket that night for The Taming of the Shrew with Jonathan Price, Pilot Giannisetti, a great show by Michael Bogdanovich, which began with the set being t- torn down by a man who appeared to have come out of the audience, um, Jonathan Price's Christopher Sly. Everybody in that audience started running out of the theatre. So I was at another Shakespeare play that <laughs> began that? with a riot. So for me, Shakespeare did not associate itself with something quiet and sonorous and beautiful it was wild and so across those uh, few days I'd see the plays I'd queue up I'd get my ticket sometimes up in the balcony looking like diagonally down very vertically and scary and then I'd go and see the birthplace places and it was the beginning of going who was the man what's the work how does that join up wow these are so he wasn't so well off he may not have been educated well you know it was also understanding that this man you know, we, 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 we were a bunch of comprehensive kids who'd gone to see that play. He was a fellow who came from a smallish town, a market town in the middle of the country, went off and made a great success. There were certain kinds of things that made uh, kind of uh, sense. So by the time, cut to 40 years later, the very first time we do a makeup test, and I've done this thing deliberately of closing my eyes, and then two hours later, um, Vanessa White, the makeup designer, Neil Gorton had put the prosthetics on, said you could open them, and I opened them. And it was quite moving, actually. It was quite yeah. moving to have the, this sort of uh, this experience, which was a, a, a kind of... Um, it's, it's something I really... I had a flash of being back at Stratford all those years ago. And, of course, it had come out of this sort of communion with the picture of Shakespeare in the National Portrait Gallery, Room 3, the Chandos portrait. We think it's him. People say it's him. Others were disputed. But a guy called John Taylor probably painted it in 1608. It's Mona Lisa. It looks you straight in the eye. It always reminds me, if, you ever, if you're interested in a painting, try and find a way to see the real thing, because the reproductions are nothing like it. So you go and see that portrait of Shakespeare, and I swear to God, that man's looking at you. Yeah. He's looking at you. There's a warmth, there's a depth, there's a wryness in those eyes. I felt I was given permission. I felt I was given permission. There's a twinkle in the eye. I said, yeah, yeah, you'll get it wrong as well. But, you know, go on, have a go. A smile, something that, that we extended into our title, yeah. which is, all is true. Well, maybe not, but maybe. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have it to get 30, 30, maybe get 30, maybe get 20, 20, 20, maybe get 20, 20, maybe get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. That thing about the painting that may or may not, because apparently at Corpus Christi there is the painting of Christopher Marlowe, but it might not be him. Exactly. This is some bloke <laughs> around about that time they've decided that that's who it is. But it might not be. Yeah. But there is, I mean, that, I mean, I was really struck by, because in real, in real life, you don't look like Shakespeare. No, no, God bless not. you, but yes, you yeah. don't. But on, 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 on camera, it's, it's a, you know, it, it looks like what I think Shakespeare should look like. And actually, I confess, I was watching for a while before I went, it's, the nose is a different shape, yeah. um, which I know now is obvious. Of course, it's a, but yeah. it, it didn't immediately occur to me. Well, what, I was, what I was struck by was it looks like I imagine William Shakespeare to look. Yeah. But what about the rest of it? The, the walk, I mean, obviously, you've, the costume is something you're, you're familiar with, but the, how did you stand to be Shakespeare? Well, it was just, I, I found that, uh, that um, I was talking about it with Ian McKellen, and, and something came out of the script, at least in the first part of it, was that um, there was a rather sort of bewildered quality to Shakespeare. Uh, the word that I love that is used about him, but often by people who wrote about him, Hemmings and Condell, who produced the first volume of plays, the first folio, the first collected works, if you like, Describe in the introduction, they refer to him as gentle. Ben Johnson does the same thing in his sort of semi-eulogistic uh, funeral piece, Gentle. And uh, that uh, gentleness, uh, I think, for me, it, 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 it fired up an image of a man, an observer, a man who was not front-footed. The, play, the, the parts in the plays that we know he probably played in his, um, mm. his theatre were, on the whole, were, were, uh, were quieter parts, you know, gent- gentler parts. He often played, he played William in, in As You Like It, who's a sort of, you know, lovely, sappy, sort of dopey fella yeah. uh, in, the, in the terms of that, that play. So uh, 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 for me, that gentleness was also going to lead in the first part of the play, uh, especially in how it related to his physicality, to a stillness, to a relatively still quality um, that he's... We believe, again, you were talking about the, the Marlowe issue, you talked to um, Shakespearean scholars, and the general feeling is that, with some evidence to suggest as much, that he was traumatised by the loss of that theatre. This is a theatre, at one stage during its life, they'd carried it timber by timber mm. in the middle of the night across the, um, across the river to, the, to, to Bankside uh, when the, 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 the laws changed. Uh, they lived hand to mouth. Sometimes they had successes, sometimes they didn't. 37 of his plays or his plays in, in collaboration with other people were put on, plus there were tons of other plays by Johnson and Fletcher and all the rest of it. So an enormous amount of his life had been been wrapped up in that place as writer and actor and producer. It's gone catastrophically, and he goes back, and I think you find a, a shell-shocked, traumatised man whose, whose general disposition, it would seem to me, 
sits nicely with the word gentle. He listened, he observed. If you have that much knowledge of the higher and lower echelons of society, I think you found a way to create a warmth that people uh, 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 that allowed people to be themselves, for yeah. him to gather that information. And so to then see him sort of knocked around a bit by the sort of rough and tumble of family life back and smacking him right between the eyes, I, I felt like he was walking in sort of cotton wool, so he didn't really know where to put himself, including, despite his vast knowledge in the plays about plants and, 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 and herbs and, and flowers, uh, in the garden, in the way he is, he is literally trying to find himself again. And what he's looking for, which so many of us do, don't we, is you're, you're looking for a chance to go back, in his case, to his hometown and somehow make that connection between what he was and who he is. Quite a lot of it remains the same, but then this great big interval of fame and celebrity and achievement got in the way. But he's a human being, so he doesn't necessarily believe all of that. And then, and then he has these other undercurrents of feeling like, well, you know, who is he drawn to in the love game? He's come back to be with the woman that he began a family with, but Ben Elton introduces this whole swerve uh, and kind of curveball that is the Earl of Southampton arriving and suggesting perhaps Shakespeare may have been um, gay or bisexual or both. You must write again, Will. London needs you. I need you. We have only Johnson now. Who laughs at me because I speak no Greek and don't know whether Bohemia has a coast. Oh, Christ, but why do you care what he thinks? You wrote King Lear. I care because it matters, Your Grace. Well, in England it matters. I have what I have upon my own merit, and for that I'm suspect. Perhaps I'll always be suspect. But I have my money, and, and I have my houses, and I have, I have my coat of arms. And you have your verses. Christ, man, you have your poetry, such poetry, such beautiful, beautiful poetry. And some of it, some of it was writ for me. Yes. Yes, Your Grace, for you. That scene is it's, it's wonderful, and I, I love the way that we hear the same verse read twice, in, with with completely different emphasis, and it changes the, word, the way the, the changes what that means or what it may mean. My favourite scene in the film is the scene when he's out in the garden and the young man comes up and says, I just need to ask you. And he's just like, what? And what I, what I love about that scene is it, it has this, I mean, obviously it's an invention, but it has the smack of reality about it. Yeah. You know, you're willing to, what? Yes. So ha, tell me about that, what's happening in that scene. Well, Ben, ben Elton was very keen that uh, he, he said, look, well, first of all, uh, we talked way back about about right now in 2019, what would people like to know about William Shakespeare if you had the chance, if you were at the fictional dinner party or whatever? Uh, and quite a lot of people might say, how did you do it? How did you know? How did you come up with all this stuff? Um, and one might imagine that he'd been asked a very, very many times. <laughs> a, li a line that we, we cut from the movie but explained exactly who this student was, he said, but I came from Cambridge. I, I, I took the time off. I ca I've come all this way. You could imagine, couldn't you, if he was alive today, people would come, as they do, yeah. from every corner of the globe to see the RSC, to go to Shakespeare's Globe, to go to Stratford itself. And so that, 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 that funny combination of a man who carries the mantle of uh, the enormity and prolific nature of the work 
uh, he's glad of an audience that wants it, but but is is often dealing with a question that he may not even know how to answer himself. Yeah. Uh, that disparity between geniuses and their and their lives was really brought home to me when I looked at some of the correspondence of Mozart, very very potty mouthed. Uh, in, individual uh, leading a larky, salty, salty life through his letters, <laughs> and, and very interested in what he might be doing to his missus on his return from wherever it was, Salzburg. <laughs> Not the image of the sublime maker of the of the beautiful concerto, yeah. written on the air in gossamer. And there's a, a guy who's mostly interested in in what she's going to be wearing when he walks it. <laughs> How do you know? Just what what I know. If I know, and I, I don't say that I do, I have imagined. But they say that you left school at 14. You've never traveled. Imagine from what? From myself. Yourself? Yes. Everything I've ever done, everything I've ever seen, every book I've ever read, every conversation I've ever had, including God help me, this one. If you want to be a writer and speak to others and for others, speak first for yourself. Search within. Consider the contents of your own soul. Your humanity. And if you're honest with yourself, then whatever you write, all is true. The time has flown by, so a last thing. Um, you made this kind of under the radar because it was that was a decision because you just wanted because you've done Murder on the Orient Express and you know heaven knows you've done enough big productions, superheroes. Was was it a deliberate thing so that you were you were doing it completely on your own terms? It uh, there was suddenly a moment where it could happen and things came together and yes that that it was it was it was to reduce the scale of the work to go to a, a chamber piece where um, we were talking a little before we sort of came on air a little bit about about things that uh, that you create that that turn out the way you hope for without compromise which is not to say that they are definitive but mainly that they have that characteristic that what you try to do is what you they do. are the, yeah you yeah. made the thing that you wanted to make exactly for better or worse and in that case that was the intention going into this and it was the it was the it was what happened uh, on the way out and 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 much of it was also to do with the way in which it was done as well so we were small scale we were short we were brief we were working with people largely with people we knew but with lots of new people as well but we we, we exploited the and, and and you know harnessed and nourished the, the the qualities that are there if you've worked like with Judy for 10 11 12 times or something Something, and a lot of the other collaborators on it, and uh, it felt like fine brushwork. It was, it was going to be, as I said to when I pitched it to Ben, I said this is a kind of, it's a rumination, it's a meditation. I know that the facts of the life will give us plenty of lean-in kind of, you know, drama, but it's okay for it to be quiet. It's okay for it to be slow. It's okay for it to be tender. It's okay for it to be introspective, if that's what it needs to be. Not as a, a sort of an indulgence, but we're talking about a particular moment in in the in the life of a particular man. We we must allow it to be what it what it needs to be, and what it needs to be in the end is what you saw when you watched the picture. That is what it feels like, and I think that that's a it's it's a really lovely thing to make the movie you want to make, not the movie that somebody else wants you to make. So, congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you.
the wonderful Sir Kenneth Branner. And if you like The Sound of All Is True, it's out on DVD this week. Thanks for listening. And remember, if you enjoy the podcast, please do subscribe. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.